Let's pray. Our Father, our Dad in heaven, may your name be blessed. May you be regarded as holy, as completely different, as good and true and loving as the one who saved the world for God so loved the world. Bring about your kingdom, have your way in us, have your way with us on earth as it is in heaven. Bring that about uh, today and now as we open your word together, as we listen to your spirit May my words be uh, true and faithful to your words. Forgive my sin and forgive our sin. Open us uh, to your goodness. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. To fast, to fast is to intentionally abstain from food. And fasting can be done in a lot of ways. In the scriptures, the normal means of fasting involved abstaining from all food, all uh, solid food, all liquid food except water, for various lengths of time and always for spiritual purposes. And regarding the why of fasting, John Piper has written, fasting is a temporary renunciation of something that is in itself good, like food, in order to intensify our expression of need for something even better or greater, namely God and his work in our lives. But even with that positive spin, it is doubtful that many of us here this morning are truly excited that our subject this morning is fasting because we love to eat. Is it not true? Some of our elders are yelling amen right now. Uh, This is just what I grabbed on the way in to... uh, sort of uh, hopefully satisfy my appetite later on. You're welcome to help yourself to those. But just as a reminder, I'm going to keep those right there close by within reach this morning. We love to eat. I love to eat. Eating is fun. Eating is enjoyable. Eating brings us pleasure. Eating satisfies us. And we need to eat. Let's say that together. Eating is fun. I mean, isn't it? The average American, of course, eats way more than we need to. The average American consumes more calories and more of the wrong kinds of calories, of course, than we need or are beneficial. But aside from those things and aside from the fact that we sometimes live in a food-obsessed culture in in which food becomes an idol, in which restaurants become temples, and dining tables become altars. There is absolutely nothing wrong with eating and enjoying food. 
We know that Jesus attended banquets and that he helped those banquets sometimes to be joyous occasions, at least on one occasion even including providing the wine and good wine at that. We often picture Jesus, painters do, artists do, as a guy with a very lean frame. But we don't know that to be true. Jesus may have had a little extra around the waist. He certainly loved to eat just like we do in our full humanity. Eating is a good thing. Let's say that together. Eating is a good thing. So why bring up the matter of fasting and potentially ruin a perfectly good morning at church when there are so many other good things we could be talking about? The reason is that we are following a curriculum of sorts from the scriptures as we explore and seek to live in the way of Jesus. And Jesus assumed that his disciples fasted. Fasting was a part, therefore, of Jesus' curriculum, if you will, for his students, for his disciples, for his followers. Jesus assumed that his disciples would fast. Jesus assumed that fasting was and would be a normal part of their lives. And Jesus, you remember, has in mind for his students a life characterized by and described with the words abundant and eternal. We may not have positive connotations in our minds about fasting, but Jesus seemed to have such, and we trust Jesus. We have put our faith as Christians and as the church in Jesus, and not just in Jesus as Savior, but also necessarily and thankfully also as teacher or rabbi. Jesus desires to save people from eternal condemnation and justice related to our sin in the eternal scope, and also... Jesus desires to save people from the consequences of our sin and to save people from a non-abundant life. And so Jesus teaches his students a way that will be for them not just a means of information and knowledge, but also, and more importantly, transformation. The renovation of their and our minds and hearts and therefore also lives. Lives he envisions that are filled with joy and that are filled with peace and that are filled with fruitfulness and where we have an abundant relationship with our Father in heaven. In a word, abundance. And to that end, Jesus has already taught, and we have already read the past couple of weeks, about two spiritual disciplines at the beginning of chapter 6 of Matthew's Gospel, giving, and then last week, prayer. This morning, we get to the third of the disciplines that he speaks about in the beginning of chapter 6. Listen closely as I read. This is the Word of God. Jesus says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do as the pretenders do, as the actors do. For they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full, their reward from others. But when you fast, put oil on your head, which was uh, like washing your face, and so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus assumes that his disciples did fast and that they would fast. Jesus did not say, if you fast. 
On the other hand, in all fairness, Jesus also did not say, you must fast. He simply assumes those who consider him to be their teacher would fast, as fasting was a normal part of the life of the people of God at that time. Before we talk, though, about what that might look like in our lives, I want to acknowledge that talking about fasting can cause people to shut down or to be put on the defensive. I, on Tuesday, thought out loud thinking, I don't think I have ever preached on fasting. And one of the elders said, I think you have. And um, that elder may be right, but I went back in uh, 10 years of notes and could not find a sermon specifically on fasting. I'm pulling it out now because I trust that you will not be put too much on the defensive. But we can feel, and just the mention of the word fasting, can put us on the defensive. We feel he's going to lay it on us this morning. You can feel the burden that you do not want and the guilt. And you begin, many of you have already begun to think, how can I get out of here? And so I want to say up front, What? Fast. Get out of here fast. Fastly. Cute. So I want to say up front, if you don't want to fast, don't fast. You are free to not fast if you don't want to fast. That's why I titled the message in the bulletin, Fast As You Can. Fast as you can, fast if you can, fast if you want to. You can take a pass, not to use a Disney term, but you can take a pass on fasting. They've got a thing called Fast Pass at Disney that has nothing to do with food. Do not take a pass on the other messages in this series. Do love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Do love your neighbor yourself. Do immerse yourself in God's word. Do give to the poor and to the needy and to the church and do so generously and joyfully. Do Pray to your Father who is in heaven because he will hear you absolutely. But feel free to take a pass on fasting if you'd like, at least for now. There are plenty of other elements in Jesus' curriculum for you to focus on right now. But do take this opportunity over the next few minutes to at least learn. Okay? Here we go. Throughout the scriptures, fasting refers to abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Fasting in the scriptures is different than those who fast today as a hunger strike, the purpose of which is to draw attention to a cause or to gain political influence for a situation. Fasting in the scriptures is also distinct from those who today fast for the sake of their health or for weight management, both of which are valid. Fasting for such purposes today is not bad or wrong, but the objectives of such fasting are different than the fasting described in Scripture. Biblical fasting always centers on and is about spiritual purposes. Throughout the Scriptures, we read of various individuals fasting. Moses, Elijah, David, Esther the queen, Daniel the seer, Anna the prophetess, Paul the apostle, and of course, even Jesus the Son of God. And there were all sorts of different occasions on which, or situations in which these people and others would fast, sometimes required by the law, but other times spontaneously, 
often individually, but sometimes in groups and the whole people of God together for a variety of reasons we see in the scripture. I thought during our minutes together that I have on the platform, I would describe some of the reasons, both biblical and practical, for fasting today. Here they go. First, fasting helps us to get in touch with our emotional selves and our spirits. More than any other discipline, Richard Foster writes, fasting helps open us to what is going on inside of us. And as Foster also writes, this is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what is inside of us with food and other good things, but in fasting, these things surface. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. King David wrote, I humbled my soul with fasting. Foster again writes, anger, bitter, jealousy, strife, fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting. And that has been my experience as well. Fasting is an act of humility that shines a spotlight on our weaknesses. And that is a good thing. Second, fasting reveals the things on which we depend and that we run to for relief or help. As Albert Haas has written, fasting can be a painful admission that I am not free, that my life is enslaved, obsessed, or addicted to eternal things such as food, drink, codependent relationships, sex, television, privacy, and the like. But the exposing of such things is the first step toward, the, toward healing and wholeness. I remember in college often feeling like I just couldn't study or write anymore without some sort of sugar fix, which I would get. I've never told anyone this, but through three years of seminary, when I needed help writing papers, staying up late, working on a project, knocking out a big paper, it was Archway Windmill Cookies from the corner store a block from campus to which I ran late at night. They knew me there at the Wawa Market. (laughs) Fasting necessarily reveals our dependence on things rather than God. Third, fasting points us back to God, back to trusting God and to leaning on God. Understanding how we operate and the ways in which we medicate ourselves is often the first step toward reliance on God and His grace and power. Such are the first two steps of the 12-step program. Acknowledging that we have a problem and leaning on God for help with that. When a person skips a meal or two meals or three meals and feels the discomfort of an empty belly, she is reminded that not only can we not live without the produce of the earth and the labor of others to bring that food to market and to our tables, but also that everything that we need 
at least at some point in the supply chain, is supplied by God, who is, as we profess, maker of heaven and earth, and the one who sustains, the one who loves us and who calls us to cast all of our anxiety on him because he loves us. Who, as Jesus said last week, knows all of our needs before we even ask. Do you believe it? When a, fir- when a person fasts, he is pointed back to God and reminded that God is the source of everything that we need and everything that is good and that we can rely on God and His grace. As the Psalms declare, the Lord is our rock, He is our salvation. In Him we have no fears. Fourth, fasting enriches and somehow augments our prayers and our praying. Over and over in the scriptures, when God's people feel an urgency in prayer, they also fast, both as individuals and as groups. The emptiness in one's belly can awaken a person's spirit, propel that person toward God, and serve to focus that person in prayer at God's feet. Fasting heightens our sense of need, reminds us that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. As Richard Foster has written, numerous of people have written on the many values of fasting, such as increased effectiveness somehow in intercessory prayer, in guidance when we need help with decisions, in increased concentration when praying, in deliverance from those in bondage, even physical well-being. Sharing from his own experience, Gary Rohrmeyer has written, every time I have fasted, I have found my worship experience sweeter, the illumination of God's spirit brighter, and the hunger for God's word stronger. We do this interesting and different thing, though. When we gather for prayer, we bring food with us. Have you thought about that? And in the scriptures, when they gathered for intense times of prayer, they left the food outside and they fasted. Fifth, fasting brings us into solidarity with the poor. Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. Jesus identified in so many ways with the poor, the hungry, the thirsty, the ones who have no choice about not eating because they have no food. When we fast intentionally for spiritual purposes, we share for a time in their suffering. We align ourselves with them as Jesus did. We share in the suffering of the poor as we share in the suffering of Christ who joins us, who calls us to join him in his mission to the world. And sixth and finally, fasting helps us in our training as followers of Jesus. You may remember about two months ago we talked about spiritual training. We read from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians where he wrote, everyone who competes in the games, some games in Corinth like the Olympics, 
goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And Paul talks about the importance and the necessity of training our bodies, our minds, and our spirits for the life to which God calls us in Jesus. And that training, Paul wrote, requires discipline. It requires self-control, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Or part of the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit manifest and alive and working and powerful in one's life. Self-control. There's a little prayer that I pray sometimes. It goes like this. Dear God, so far today I've done all right. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been selfish. I haven't been overindulgent. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to have to get out of bed. (laughs) And from then on, I'm going to need all the help you can give me. Help me with self-discipline. Amen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his classic little book, The Cost of Discipleship, these words, if there is no element of asceticism in our lives, asceticism, self-denial in our lives, if we give free reign to the desires of the flesh, taking care, of course, to keep within the limits of what seems permissible to the world, we shall find it hard to train for the service of Christ. When the flesh is satisfied, it is hard to pray with cheerfulness or to devote oneself to a life of service which calls for much self-renunciation, which life in Christ does, which life following Jesus does. But I read to the end of that chapter in that book this week and read these closing words by Bonhoeffer. He says we are not to force fasting on other people as a rule or regulation. That is not its purpose. Rather, the purpose of fasting is to help us train secretly for the joyful privilege of service to Christ. And I want to emphasize that for any of you who may be feeling right now that burden, that guilt, that ought to, that should. Do not feel like fasting is being forced on you. Fast as you can, if you can, when you can. As God leads you, if God leads you. It should be, as Hudson Taylor said, the great missionary to China, a means of grace, which is a term that theologians have always used for things like baptism and the Lord's Supper means of grace. And Hudson Taylor said that he witnessed among Chinese people who fasted and prayed together that fasting was a means of God's grace manifest in people's lives. Not something to be feared or shunned or rejected or despised. I never heard of fasting when I was growing up. It's as if we've excised that portion of Jesus' teaching and the scriptures from the Bible, at least in our mainline or evangelical circles. I learned about fasting as a young man quietly when after college I was working in a church and got to know George Gonzalez. 
George was a custodian at the church where I worked. He was at the bottom of the ladder, so to speak, on the church staff. But during his breaks, in his maintenance custodial closet, he would invite me and show me portions of books and then the scriptures that talked about fasting. And then he would teach me how to fast. I would tell you more, but Jesus is very explicit in the verses from chapter 6 that we read a moment earlier that fasting is to be done for ourselves. It is a gift of God and a call for God for ourselves. And not even so much for God, but for us as a gift from God, as a means of grace, as a way to heighten our sensitivity to God, as a way to grow us and help us train in following Jesus. And so I point you to fasting for those reasons. And I remind you of what we have already talked about, that we say that we believe in Jesus. We affirm our faith in Jesus. But let us not only affirm our faith or our believing in Jesus as Savior on a cross for our sin, but also that we believe him. We believe what he said. We believe what he taught. We believe the way that he led his disciples to go was good and right and led to eternity and was abundant here and now today. I'm going to share again the words of Henry Nouwen with which I've wrapped up a couple of these messages. The society in which we live suggests in countless ways that the way to go is up, making it to the top, entering the limelight, breaking the record. That's what draws attention, gets us on the front page of the newspaper, and offers us the rewards of money and fame. The way of Jesus is radically different. It is not the way of upward mobility, but of downward mobility. It is going to the bottom, staying behind the sets, and choosing the last place. Why is the way of Jesus worth choosing? Because it is the way to the kingdom. The way Jesus took himself. And the way that brings everlasting life. Let's pray. We thank you for food, God. We enjoy food. We like food. We love food. We experience your boundless goodness and grace and providence in food, for which we are really grateful that we have plenty and lots. Teach us also about our need for you, creating us a hunger for you. If and as you lead, help us to consider one of the practices of Jesus and one of the practices of his students. Through fasting and in other means, awaken us to what's happening in our own spirits. Awaken us to our needs. Fill us with your goodness. Meet us. 
in the emptiness. We ask and we pray in Christ the Lord. Amen.